All right, so we're going to pray to give you guys time to take care of walking out if you need to. God, thank you very much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Thank you that you give each of us amazingly different gifts. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for who you are. In Christ's name, amen. I am thankful that God gives us different gifts, and one of the reasons is because if you were in the hospital and I came to sing to you, you would pray for death, <laughs> right? So be thankful that it was her there and not me. You'd be like, please, more medicine that is not that. So um, just be aware. God, God really does actually engage with us differently. There's actually six speakers that rotate through uh, this position right here because God's given us an abundance of speakers. So if you come on any given Sunday, you may hear a different person giving a message. That's because we actually value the idea of different voices. We believe that God speaks to us in different ways and that he gives us different abilities to communicate. Anybody who's ever been in a relationship knows that when somebody says something, sometimes you hear something else, right? So sometimes somebody else may be a better communicator of something simply because of the way that they say that or the words that they choose or don't choose to use. So I drew the short straw this morning and we're talking about porn. Yeah, whoever cheered for that is really awkward. <laughs> They're also on our speaking team, I think, which is also funny. So. Love ya. <laughs> um, it wasn't hard to find slides for this sermon. I have so much pornography to show you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but if you didn't get your kids out, really, it's your last chance. Uh, listen, uh, one of the things we're doing right now is we're in what's called the hashtag series. Hashtag is actually a symbol that is used um, to designate a searchable topic online. And that's things that trend are, are hashtags. Pornography is definitely trending. Um, I want to talk to you guys specifically about how today, uh, when we discuss uh, these things, I'm talking openly and honestly about pornography, but I'm talking about the intersection of our daily life and reality that we're constantly, with that and our faith, right? Because church should be about regular life and the things that you live through seven days a week and what God's word says. That intersection right there where faith and life meet that's when the most significant decisions of your life and the core of your personality, that's where they actually come from. So we're talking about that intersection and actually how we're bombarded with opportunities to act on our sexual lust. That's what we're talking about today. So if you're a parent here and you didn't get our previous announcement about this mature topic, um, you've been warned. Today we are discussing pornography, but also about being sexually active. And there's a reason why those two things are connected. Pornography and sexual activity share a ton of the same crossover, okay? When you engage with pornography and you engage in sexual activity, you're engaging something mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical. This is actually a thing. There's crossover. So when you're looking at images, you're stimulated. When you're reading words, they're stimulating. Things happen physically, mentally, emotionally. It's a thing that happens. So when we talk about pornography, first of all, we are talking about sexual activity because one thing leads to another. In every message we give at church, we emphasize not only what God cares about regarding what is wrong, because we do believe there are standards for living. This church does believe that there's right and wrong, but we also try to emphasize what God is for. We love sharing what this church is for because we're supposed to be following God. So let me be clear. God invented sex, and it is awesome. And the church is very pro-sex because God is very pro-sex. And if you don't believe it, look how big the families are here, okay? 
We know how that keeps happening. It's not like, what is going on? That person is pregnant again. Slip them a note or something. Let them know. They know. And they're doing it on purpose because they are very pro-sex. God is pro-sex. God invented sex. He made and created men and women to physically fit together for intimacy. This whole thing was his idea. It wasn't like he created them and went, oh, my goodness. They're so creative. Look what they figured out how to do. Like, he definitely knew. In fact, he said to be, go forward and create and create offspring. It was actually one of his first commandments to us. Um, so sex has a design. It has a purpose. There's actually a reason for why it exists. And we're going to get into that later. But see, you can't really talk about pornography, pictures, and videos, and stories of naked men and women without addressing the purpose of them, right? I mean, they exist, and they also exist for a reason. If the seventh grader in you needs to chuckle, go ahead. So, it is an awkward topic sometimes, but I want you to understand, first of all, why it exists in function. Pornography is a business. It's a business. So before we even talk about what it is, let's talk about what it does. It actually is a business. It's there because it makes a ton of money. Depending on which source you look at, annually, the industry could be worth between $6 billion with a B and $97 billion with a B. Now, that's a huge variance, right? You're like, that's a terrible statistic. It's, it's between nothing and something massive, right? I mean, but the reality is it's, it's between six and $97 billion, but it's really hard to estimate. And there's extreme variance because most of the owners of these pornography firms are private. Um, there are, many are illegal because there's zero regulation across the industry. I mean, they say there is, they say they're self-regulated, but the reality is anybody can upload something to somewhere and you have no idea if that person's of age, you have no idea if that person's held in human trafficking, you have no idea where that pornography content came from. And so it's an extremely unregulated culture and business. And so it's pretty hard to measure as far as how you can tell how much it's worth. But its purpose is simple, okay? So yes, it makes money as a business, but when we talk about pornography, its actual purpose is simple. It is meant to arouse lustful thoughts inside of you, fantasies and actions that deliver sexual satisfaction. That's what pornography is for. It's not meant to just drive by and not think about. It's meant to absolutely dwell on, to be thinking about, to create fantasies, to create expectations. That's what it's for, and it's meant to deliver sexual satisfaction. And it is a huge business on the internet. Check out this slide. It would be fair to say that currently it is one of the top four businesses on the internet. It's coming, I think. Sometimes I break things. They're like, here's your remote, don't break it. And oh, look, there it is. So 25% of internet searches, 25%, one in four internet searches are related to sex. One in four internet searches are related to sex. 12% of all the websites in the entire world are pornographic. 12%, one in 10, over one in 10. One in four searches on the internet are related to sex. There's a reason why I keep repeating this and driving it home. It's because every one of you has internet in your home or your work. You have it, it's familiar, it's a massive pipeline of information. One in four searches are related to sex. The reason why you have to emphasize that is because some of us have children, some of us literally have zero um, accountability or filters or anything uh, with how we talk about sex, with how we communicate with our children and our spouses, and we don't even know that one in four searches are about sex. But one in four are, and what that actually means is that this could be an issue under your own roof. 
And for most of us, it has been. Let's be honest, Christians put a lot of shame and weird heavy weight on stuff, and there's things we talk about and there's things we don't talk about. Pornography is definitely one of the things that gets shoved by the wayside and not really talked about. But it's totally talked about in culture. And the purpose of pornography is clear. A car is made to transport, a garden is made to generate food. Pornography is meant to awaken lustful thoughts, daydreams, and to be acted upon sexually for satisfaction. And it's time we acknowledge that one of the top reasons for the internet is pornography. Now you might say, that is not why it was created. You, that's, putting, that's putting something, okay. But one of the top four reasons that it actually does serve is searching for sex. Why do I keep driving that home? Because somebody in this room just refuses to acknowledge that that is an actual purpose of the internet. And you can't quite follow the rest of this until you realize that the internet is used to deliver pornography to everyone, to everyone. Because if you've been on the internet at all in the last year, you've been searching for something completely unrelated and pornography has popped up. And you know it because you're like, whoa, how do I get out of this as fast as I can? My wife, my mother, my brother is literally right there watching. It's there, and if you have the internet at your house or your work, it's definitely past time that you realize that this portal opens your house up to everything. And so if you have children at all or a spouse, or especially if you're alone, internet boundaries, device use, parameters that protect you and more, there's so many things that you need to discuss, and if you haven't, it is time. Also, the age that most kids are introduced to pornography is elementary school, so you might be super late to the conversation. Okay, it's on buses, it's on phones. Friends share it, they find things. I think it's important that you know that. There's not only extreme variance in how much money the industry makes, there's extreme variance on how it's perceived. I want you to look at, at this slide that I made you that helps, helps you understand a little bit about what the population actually believes. So this is like, whereas Waldo, you're gonna find yourself in this statistic, in this infographic. Which one of these groups are you? Okay, you might be a teenager. 43% of teens believe that pornography is bad for society. 31% of 18 to 24 year olds believe that it's bad for society. 51% just over the, uh, the middle there of millennials believe it. Gen Xers, 44. Boomers, 59%. Now, there's a reason why I put this statistic up there. First of all, it's to make you go, oh, so what does society believe? How much um, are they actually believing that it's bad? What does our culture actually believe? The second reason why this infographic is up here is because how often do you align with that population? That's an uncomfortable question, but it's definitely one worth asking. Do you actually believe that it's bad? Or is it neutral? I feel like it needs to be said that culture has subtly changed the words of how we view pornography over the last few decades. It used to be when I was growing up that it was explicit content or illegal or banned or whatever and then it turned to uh, adult content, and then people were like, well, what does adult mean? And they didn't really like to define that very much, so then they just defined it as, are you mature enough to view this? And now it's just called mature content. So see, these little tiny language shifts, what they actually do is they uh, create acceptable categories in which now you and I can excuse ourselves into that category as being um, appropriate, because you're old. If you're me, you're old. <laughs> so. The reality is, you may say, oh, I'm an adult, I'm mature enough to handle this content. And it's no longer considered explicit or bad, it's just adult. 
it's just mature. In fact, maturity is actually something that we strive for. Do you see what happened there? Like the word mature is, are you maturing into a complete adult? And now it's like, are you mature enough to view this? So that's confusing wordage. I also noticed it's really common for Christians to turn to one another for validation and verification. And this is super weird, but it happens all the time. Totally been guilty of this in my own marriage, right? Something comes on the TV. You know you probably shouldn't be looking at it, but you turn to your spouse or someone else in the room like, are you cool with what I'm watching? Because if you're cool with this, I'm totally, I mean, I, I don't even see that happening right there. Again, rewind it. Like, I'm just saying, like, we do that. We validate, like, our, our morality. We look to other people for our actual moral compass. So we say, we, we tend to put things in categories as, well, this is inappropriate. This is not a big deal. And we, what we do is we turn to somebody else for validation so that we don't feel as bad. Well, I, I can watch it because my wife's cool with it. I can do this because my spouse doesn't seem to, to seem to mind, so it's okay. Right, and that happens all the time. There's actually super popular shows, shows that I really want to see. I have been told, I'm just going to throw a name out there, I've been told that Game of Thrones is in the best written show that has ever been on TV. And I'm like, whoa, I, I love cinema. I got to see what that's about. So I start watching the first episode. Didn't get very far into it at all before I found out what that was about. <laughs> Should be called Game of Porn. But... I was watching it, and I was like, holy cow. And I stopped it, and I was like, what just happened? Like, I know it's on Homebox, HBO, and I know it's like a, a thing, or Showtime, or Boob Time, or whatever it's called. But I was watching it, it and I remember thinking, uh, should I check in with my wife before I continue this episode? Like, what do I say? And then I realized, what am I doing? You're going to check in with, uh, hey, babe. Do you care if I watch these two naked people have sex on TV? It's just like a small part, but it's not. It's actually a big part of the show from what I hear. I didn't make it past the first episode. I actually didn't have to ask my wife for, for permission because that thing inside of me, that voice that goes, dude, you already know right and wrong. Don't look for validation and justification for your sin by blaming the person next to you. Ouch. So let me be clear, culture, the church, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your sister, your brother, your best friend, your teacher, they don't set the standards for what's acceptable and beneficial for your spiritual life, your heart, and your mind. It's already laid out for us. God in the Bible is like, hey, listen, I'm going to show you how to live with this thing that I created. I want to show you how to use it. I want to show you what it's for. It's amazing, and it's awesome, and I'm pro-sex. And he lays it out for us. So you don't actually have to create a line where God has already created a line that's done for you. And probably one of the most interesting comparisons of how pornography is viewed comes from this interesting response from a Barna research poll right here. At first, when I saw this, I was like, what is this about? Teens and young adults 13 to 24 believe that not recycling is worse than viewing pornography. And my brain went, we recycle pornography? Like, what are you, I'm done with this. Here you go, Joe. And so, like, that's super weird. And then I was like, oh, they're talking about two different things. Duh. Okay, but you guys are just smarter than me. But really, that's an interesting statistic. So the first thing I thought was, what a non-sequitur and weird argument. One thing doesn't follow the other. This isn't logical. You can't say, compare recycling and pornography. They're two entirely different things. One deals with the environment and our ability to um, basically resource a commodity. And the other, wow, the other one definitely deals with our environment and pornography is a commodity. And then you start to realize, yeah, but one is viewed as bad because it actually has an impact on society. And then you look at the other side and you go, wait a minute. 
What if pornography actually has a really heavy weight in society and does influence society? What if recycling and the idea of caring about the future generations and what they actually do and how they live on this planet and viewing pornography were actually a little bit closer than we'd want to believe? Especially when you consider whose problem is this? Is it the older people's problem or the younger people's problem? So the values of our culture say that there's a greater impact and moral mandate in protecting our outward physical environment than there is in actually protecting our hearts and minds. And that's super common for young people to believe. It's a telling statistic because ultimately it reveals that young people value a tangible resource and integrity and see potential, but somehow view pornography as dehumanized, a commodity, a thing that's consumed without much consequence in society or individuals. And that's actually where I want to start right here, this next slide, because cultural view, what we believe about pornography is that in, in our society today is that it's a harmless commodity, that it doesn't matter. But the biblical view says that pornography is actually people. Pornography equals people. They are real humans. And you can say, yeah, but it's acting. Yeah, but it's fake. Yeah, but it's art. It's part of entertainment. It's an industry. It's harmless. It's not dangerous. And most young people agree with that, and it looks like some older folks do too, but look at this statistic about who agrees that pornography is pretty harmless. 90% of teens and 96% of 18 to 24-year-olds are either encouraging, accepting, or neutral when they talk about pornography with friends. And so, I told you it'd get weird if you were young in here, and now your parents are like, what does my teenager think about this? Ask them. Have a conversation with them at some point. When their friends bring it up, because they have or they will, I promise. So was your kid quiet about it? Because it's super awkward at that age when they're like 11, 12, 7, whatever, and somebody brings up pornography, it's awkward. Were they neutral? Were they positive? Were they just like, it's not a big deal, I've seen naked stuff all the time, <laughs> right? Because teenagers are always trying to compensate for what they know and how cool and smart and mature they are, right? And so the reality is they talk about it positively and like it's no big deal because their culture totally accepts it. 90 to 94% are neutral or positive about it. But pornography is first of all compromised of real men and women with real value in God's eyes. If there's one thing that this church continually drives home is that you are completely loved by your creator that God is near, that he is investing in you, that he cares about you, that he gives you gifts, that you have the opportunity to impact this world for good. You are not just a commodity. You're beautiful spiritual beings worth everything to God. Those people that you see in pornography, they are worth as much as your daughters and your sons. They are worth as much as your children. Those people that you see in pornography are worth as much as the people in your household. They grew up with hopes and dreams and purpose and deserve all the love and care that you give to your children or that you want to give to your children. And I'm choosing to compare men and women in pornography to our own children because God does. Because God does. Look at what he says on this slide in 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, For the Lord sees 
not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, literally pornography. They look at how things look. Are they attractive? But the Lord looks on the heart. This is a general statement about how God sees the earth, but it's a general statement about how God sees you. He doesn't care if you're a midget like Sergio or an ogre like me. He doesn't care. He looks at your heart and he places value on who you are created to be. Man, the core of our self-esteem should hinge on the reality that God sees us for who you are, that you were made on purpose, and that he did not make a mistake. And that goes for every porn star. God says, I see potential beyond your outward beauty and the abilities you have, and I look at the value you have because of your heart. But not only does God give us the ability and opportunity to turn toward his amazing plan and purpose for our life to become one of his children... He actually, uh, in, in 1 John 3, 1, on this slide, he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. He's taking people again, men and women in our culture and society, and again comparing them to children. He's saying, these people I love as much as my own children. So when you view pornography, you are looking at people that have the potential to be the children of God. He loves them so much on the exact same equal plane as he loves you and even greater than you can ever love your children. Do you understand that? Pornography is people. Can we agree on that as a church? Can we say, listen, it's not just a commodity. It's not just a business. These are actual people that God values, and he has a plan and a purpose for them, and he absolutely loves them. So when you view the people in pornography by God as the same way we value our own children, we catch a glimpse of God's deep love. We catch a glimpse of that, that he values us beyond our outward appearance and, and, and his love for them is like when you look at your child, when you hold your baby and you're like, I would die for this child. And he did. I mentioned before that sex is awesome and that this church is pro-sex and that uh, that's actually because we've aligned ourselves with what the Bible says and how he views it. So let's actually dive into that. Uh, God made sex for a man and woman committed in a monogamous marriage. God made sex for both enjoyment and pleasure in that kind of marriage to create offspring. Sex unites and bonds people so much that, that the Bible continuously talks about it as two people becoming one. It's in there over and over again. These two people become one and it's actually definitely referring to a sexual act that emotionally and spiritually locks you together in an inseparable way to where you can't tell you can't tell where one ends and one begins in god's eyes because spiritually you've meshed yourself together with that person on such an emotional and spiritual and physical level that you're bonded and tied to that person I thought about listing verses here to show you the best biblical guidance for sex, but there's so many verses on sex in the Bible. I mean, we'd just be like, and the next slide, and the next slide, and the next slide. So I want you to look at this right here, and this is what we're going to do. We're actually going to take a second. We're going to leave this up here so you can write this down. And if you put the word sex above it, you're definitely going to see it every time because your mind's going to be like, what? And then the sex? Oh, what's this? So if you write it in your Bible, in the top, in the pages, anywhere, if you take a picture of this slide, if you put it in your phone and you keep it, remember this. It's super easy to memorize. Colossians 3, 1 Thess 4, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 6. These are chapters. Colossians 3, 1 Thess 4, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 6. 3, 4, 5, 6. Colossians 3, 
1 Thessalonians 4, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 6. If you can memorize that, you're always going to know where to go if you want to read about sex. Because the Bible in these chapters overwhelmingly talks about sex. Colossians 3, 1 Thess 4, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 6. Say it with me real quick. Let's actually memorize that together. Colossians 3, Colossians 3, 1 Thess 4, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 6. You can even say 1 Corinthians 6. And you're definitely going to be like, oh, now I know where to go. Okay? So Colossians 3, 1 Thess 4, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 6. Okay? And you're always, your brain's going to go, oh, that's what we're talking about. 3, 4, 5, 6, Colossians 3, 1 Thessalonians 4, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 6. If you memorize no scripture, but you memorize where it's at, you're already ahead. Okay, because now you know where to go look. Is it a topical reference Bible? Colossians 3, 1 Thess 4, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 6. You get it. And if you want to know what the Bible has to say about sex specifically, you start reading those chapters, your mind's going to be blown, because it talks about sex a ton. More than we ever have time for here. So if you write these locations, these verse locations in your Bible, in a margin, on a topical list, if you take a picture of it, you keep it in your phone, you make it your screensaver, whatever, you, if you make it your screensaver, somebody's going to be like, what's that about? <laughs> okay? You like to read a lot about sex, but you read the Bible? Don't you know about pornography? You'd be like, yes, I heard a super awkward sermon about it once. <laughs> God isn't shy saying that there's good sexual activity and there's bad sexual activity. In fact, in 1 Corinthians uh, 6 and Colossians 3 and 1 Thess 4 and Ephesians 5, he actually really draws some really clear lines about, hey, this is acceptable and this is not. Unite yourself with this person. Do not unite yourself with all these other people. He's actually super clear about, uh, as, it relates, as pornography relates to uh, human virtue and worth and modesty and biblical marriage and how it impacts sexuality as a whole. That stuff is right in there. Colossians 3, 1 Thess 4, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 6. Pornography is ultimately sexual activity outside of God's intended plan. I mean, you have to look at it that way. Nobody's looking at pornography and going, very interesting. No. You're looking at it lusting. You're creating patterns. You're creating expectations. You're pretending that that is something that is um, real and not acted out. And then what you're doing is you're dehumanizing those people and how God loves them so much like you love your children. And then you're acting in lust. You're having sexual activity outside of what God intended it for in the context. So it involves people that you shouldn't be uniting yourselves with to become one with. I mean, honestly, it is. And if you're like, well, I feel like he's just being a little bit too hard. When I look at that, it's just a type. It's an A or a B. It's a brunette. And she happens to have a large personality. And so, what were you thinking? And so, so... You do this, you, you, you excuse it and you justify it and you're like, yeah, but I'm attracted to this type. Listen, you're lusting, you're creating patterns. And if you don't think it's serious, um, we actually, we justify things all sorts of ways. In fact, people do this all the time, men do this all the time. Well, I, we don't have enough sex in our marriage, so I use pornography for a way not to have an affair. And, and they may not verbalize that, but somehow they've done this justification thing in their hearts. And they're like, yeah, but at least I'm not out there actually doing that. I'm just like in here actually doing that, which is super harmful. And if you don't think so, look what Jesus said in uh, Matthew 5. Jesus is speaking to a crowd, and he says, I tell you that any, the standard is so brutal here. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Look, I don't know every one of you, but now you're all guilty because you're human. I'm being totally serious. You want a level playing field? Every single person in this room has lusted before, so you've committed adultery in your heart. 
That's Jesus' standard. You don't have to look to your spouse or your brother or your sister and be like, is this okay? If you're lusting, it's not. Jesus said so. And I know that's awkward, and I know you're like, yeah, but isn't it worse if you actually go out and do it? Yeah, Colossians 3, 1 Thess 4, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 6 actually explains how the sins that we commit sexually are among the only sins that we actually commit against ourselves. So yeah, it's a big deal if you go out and do certain things. And Jesus says it's an equally big deal if you just lust in your heart and your mind. So now that we're actually all on the same page and everybody in this room has probably committed adultery a number of times and the teenagers are like seven times yesterday. And so I can say that because I'm 41 now and some stuff just slowed down. Like I would never have wanted to preach this sermon in my 20s because how could I even stand up here? I just cry on the ground. Um, but I want you to understand that Jesus creates a direct connection with the lust that we act out in our heart and minds with outward sexual activity. Pornography is sexual activity. And over and over, adultery and the act of cheating on your spouse is immoral, it's bad, it's betrayal, it's what the Bible calls sin. Like, that's, that's in the Bible. And he connects it with lust. And viewing pornography as sexual activity based on lust. And we as a church don't create the standards for sexual satisfaction and behavior. We don't get to decide what's moral and immoral. This is not that kind of church. We don't have like a book that accompanies the Bible or a list of things you really, really shouldn't do. We believe that when you love God, you hate sin. We believe at this church that when you love God, you hate sin. And you might be brand new at that. And that's okay. You might not know what sin is. You might not know which sins to hate. Statistically, it looks like 50% of us are already messed up on that. So that's kind of hard about giving this message. I don't actually know who I'm talking to. I don't know where you're at or what you've decided about pornography or what justifications you've made in your marriage, in your life as a single person. I have no idea what role it plays in your life. But I know that when we love God, we hate sin. Because Romans 12, 9 says that love must be sincere, hate what is evil, and cling to what is good. And this church believes that God is good. So you're going to hate what is evil if you're clinging to God. Because God and evil are like light and dark. They do not go together. They cannot. They're complete opposites. So if you're loving God, you're hating sin because God is good. And sin is evil and God wants nothing to do with that. So your relationship and walk with God involves you loving God. And God loves us and hates sin. And now I need to address the elephant in the room because it's statistically impossible to be in a room this size with this many people here, especially with those of you listening on the internet at home. Now it's absolutely statistically impossible because as you're hearing this message, it's not possible that, that pornography is not an issue for someone in this room. It's not possible. Somebody in this room absolutely struggles with it regularly. If not now, then you have. And, and I actually know that as a fact because I did. Many of us developed repeated patterns of viewing pornography that were borderline addictions. Some of us have it right now. And some of us were exposed to pornography in our youth and nobody told us what to do with it. So we collected it or we kept it and we hid it and we dwelled on it and we got more of it because that's the problem with pornography. It always builds. You always need more. It doesn't satisfy the same again. And so from our youth, it gained traction and it seared itself into our memories and it awakened lust in us that nobody steered us away from. I'm just being honest. 
Most parents did not talk to their kids about pornography when I was growing up. And when the internet happened, they didn't even know what we could find. So a little bit of an excuse to them, but what's yours? For me, I believe the lie that most Christians actually do believe. And that is that you may have an, addic an addiction to pornography, or you may look at this somewhat regularly, or you may have attraction with this, and it, it's connected to you, and you've created patterns, but those are going to go away when you get married. Because why would you ever need pornography if you can just have sex? And so you believe this lie that that problem's going to go away, and it's not going to follow you into your marriage, because once you're married, why would you need that? And the sick, sinking feeling in most men's hearts when I say that is that, yep, we also believe that. That it wouldn't come in here. But here's the reality about any addiction. You can eat when you're not hungry. You can drink when you're not thirsty. Name any addiction. You can do it even if your needs are totally met. Because it's an addiction. Now let's just talk about food for a second as an addiction. I love pizza. Man, I could eat more pizza than all of you, maybe together. Like, I really love pizza. And I can eat a meal, and if somebody's like, yeah, but do you want a slice of this? I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> There's a reason why you eat a meal at a restaurant, and the waiter comes over, and they're like, would you like dessert? And you're like, oh, we're so full. Let's see a menu. <laughs> That's so an American thing, right? Pornography is a little bit the same way. You could actually have sex and then be offered pornography and be like, I mean, I'm just going to look at the menu, okay? Because it's an addiction, it's an attraction. When you get married, you don't all of a sudden find every other woman not attractive anymore. Naked women are still hot. If you're married, you're supposed to be attracted to the one you're married to, and I hope you are. But the reality is other naked women are still attractive to you. It doesn't go away. I don't know why we thought it would. But some of us have never discussed that in our marriage. So now your lunch is going to be awkward. Not just because of the, every time you see a dessert menu, you're going to be like, that's like porn, get it out of here. No, that's not why. <laughs> it's going to get weird because you're, I, I know I'm creating conflict. And I know some of you are like, we're so overwhelmed with conflict. Can we just not have any more conflict in our marriage? But this one leads to healing. Because when men can open up about their addictions with things, they can begin to actually face things. And, and I know I keep saying men, but it's the only perspective I have. Look, pornography is not isolated to men. 30% of women have pornography uh, viewing on a regular basis. So one in three women, statistically in this room, that's about, if there's three per row, if you go all the way across, one of you has an addiction. You're all looking, if that's her, <laughs> right? <laughs> Look, the reason why I'm making a couple jokes is because the shame about talking about pornography is weird. It's super common in culture. If you've ever been to a place like Las Vegas, it's like on billboards and driving trucks going by. And you go into a place and there's, there's naked people everywhere. It's really common. And the church doesn't really talk about it that much. But this church does. And we want you to talk about it in your marriage. And we want you to talk about it with your teenagers. And your teenagers do not want to talk about it with you. I'm just being super honest. They totally wish that they dismissed themselves. They do not want you to ask how they use their phone and look at their internet searches. They definitely don't want you to know that there's apps that you can install on their phones that allow you to see everything that they see. 
so that you can catch addictions early on. It's not about controlling your kids. Listen, it's not. It's about protecting their minds. It's about protecting their hearts. Some of this stuff can do real damage. So they don't want to have that conversation with you because it seems like you're always in their business already. And let's be honest, if you have teenage boys, it's, it's, look, you're late if you haven't had this conversation already. So start out with an apology and be like, look, I didn't really know that, it, that 90 to 94% of you guys are talking about it and looking at it. Dr. Dobson actually said 96% of teenage boys struggle with this and 100% of teenage boys lie. <laughs> so... Put those statistics together. You can't, your kid's dealing with it. Look, I've got daughters. It's not like I go, oh, well, they're cool because they're not attracted to any. They're, no, they don't care about Dude, they're teenagers. If they rode the public school bus, you're already late. Okay? If they went to a school and you weren't right there, they've already heard it, seen it. So let's have some conversations with our kids when they're young. And you know how to do that appropriately. You don't go, have you seen this? You don't pull it up. And be like, look at those two people making babies. Have you seen that? That's not what you do. And the reason why I say that is that is exactly how some parents in my generation actually did deal with it. That is how they taught their kids about sex. They introduced them to pornography. Not a good idea. Don't do that. Addictions, habits, and hang-ups, they don't actually just go away. So let's be honest, some of us hearing this message today absolutely need to take out the trash. And so I'm going to give you some super tangible things to do, and it starts with this slide right here. Um, this one right here, it's time. It's time. Look, you already know. Some of you are like, he's going to give a pornography on, porno uh, a pornography on sermon. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> he's going to give a sermon on pornography. He's definitely going to say it's bad. Okay, so you already know. So you came here already knowing. Still might be an issue for you. It is time to take out the trash. Some of you, that literally means that you have printed things off, that you have books that you know you shouldn't have. You have discs, you have DVDs, and if you're super old, you have VHS. And you know you have to take out the trash. So listen, parents, if you go home and your kid walks, asks for a trash bag or walks out with a big old bag, don't look in it. Just have a conversation with them because they're just following what God says. Take out the trash. Some of it's you need to go through your camera roll. You need to go through your backups. You need to go through your hard drives. You just need to get rid of some stuff. I'm not just talking about clearing browser history. I mean, you actually saved it and you need to get rid of it. It's not helping you. Some of us have to purge digital files, delete photos and videos. And this brings up my next point. As shameful as pornography can make someone feel, you are not alone in any temptation or struggle that you have. The Bible says in Hebrews about Jesus, it says this, for we do not have a high priest. It's talking about Jesus. It says, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So Jesus, I don't know, I always laugh. I'm like, Jesus saw pornography and was like, no, I got to get away from that. Look. It says in every way. I don't know if it was like, I was laughing, like, did you see this papyrus that I spent 28 hours hammering together and then used ink on? I have created a scroll of porn. <laughs> like, or if it was like, but they have seen, I don't know if you've ever seen like old Egyptian caveman drawings on walls. They definitely had a thing about penises. Like, and so I'm telling you this because pornography is not new. It's not new. It's been around for a super long time, as long as the Greeks have been in fertility and talking about gods and creating cultures. Pornography is not new. Jesus was around it, but he didn't sin, and he didn't lust. So if you as a Christian are like, listen, pornography is just something that tempts me, but it's not, I can't talk about it with anybody. Yes, you can. Everybody in this room has had to deal with pornography in one way or another. You can talk about it. Not only did Jesus himself identify with our sexual desires and temptation, 
So has just about everyone else. So can we just stop being weird about it and have real open conversations about what it can do and how damaging it can be? So first, take out the trash. Second, it's time that we confess our sin. So the first thing is you take out the trash, and sometimes that's literal, and other times it's metaphorical, and other times it's digital. The second thing you do is you confess your sins. And I know some of you are like, God, please forgive me. Amen. Yes, that. Right? Because God will forgive you when you confess your sins. But also, James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now that is harder. It's much harder. I can say a prayer under my breath and be like, God hears everything. I don't even have to say it under my breath. There, I just did it. But to turn to somebody, this is my friend Joe, and for me to say, Joe, I have a pornography addiction, a struggle, a pattern, these things that I've done, I've created repetitious things. Look, it's not as big of a deal like when I was 14. It was a big deal. Like, I don't even know why my parents gave me a doorknob on the door. Like, it shouldn't have even had a door on hinges. But I struggled with pornography a lot. And I can definitely struggle now because it's everywhere. It's when I'm not looking for it. And it seems to show up when stuff in my marriage isn't going real well, and so I struggle with it. It might pop up, and I hate it. I want to hate it. I don't hate it. I freaking love it. Because it's sex, and it's great, and God made it. But my problem is I'm going the wrong way with it. I'm acting in lust outside of my marriage. To have a conversation like that with my friend Joe is brutal and honest. And men don't like that. Oh, we are so conflict avoidant. And you know what? We definitely don't want to have that conversation with our spouses. And I'm just being real honest with you. The real reason why is because you're going to think that it's about you. That's really hard to say and sounds trite and rude. But pornography addiction is not actually about your spouse meeting your needs. Pornography addiction is about that God made you a sexual being and there's sex available everywhere with pornography. And it's not, women, if your husband are struggling with pornography, it is not that you are not enough. Hear me right now. It is not that you are not those women on the screen. It is not that you are not attractive. It is a man's battle that he has to face. And it sure looks like it's becoming a women's battle that you have to face. But I think it needs to be said that just because your spouse may have a pornography addiction or habits or hang-ups or repeated traction on some area of pornography, that actually isn't because of you. So let's just defuse that bomb before you get into it. Now, it may be that you are part of the problem. How would I know? I haven't had a conversation with you. Every single person's different. But in general, pornography addictions have more to do with the reality that it's available and that naked women are attractive. It doesn't have anything. It has to do with dessert and not the meal. And so just keep that in your mind when you talk about this because it could be so defeating to find out somebody has a pornography addiction. I can't imagine when my wife first saw a browser history after we were married and I thought that it was all going to go away. I can't imagine how awful she felt. But I want you to understand that there's variance on so many things as Christians. Okay, like this church believes in open-handed stuff. Donovan talked about this last week. Like there's room for disagreement on all sorts of things. How often you take communion, how many times you sing a worship song, 
what worship songs you sing, what style of music it is, is the lights up or down. There's so much variance in how you live out your Christian life. But the standards is that there's zero variance on who Jesus Christ is. So if you want the answer to pornography addiction or food addiction or drug addiction or alcoholism, it's got to start with who Jesus is because there's no variance on that in the church. I don't care what church you go to. If it's a church under Jesus Christ full of believers, they believe one thing. You cannot do it on your own. You are not strong enough. You are not a good enough person. The standard is perfection and you cannot meet it. You already haven't. So let's just get that out of the way that you need Jesus as much as I need Jesus. And that the only reason why I'm up here is because I can't sing and so my gifting happens to be speaking. And so I got to talk about this. But I'm not up here because I'm better than you and I've never struggled with this. I'm not up here talking about this as an authority on pornography because it's completely conquered and I'll never, ever be tempted again. Boy, I wish I could get up here and say that was just a struggle of my youth when I used to have hormones. <laughs> nah. My wife laughed. Why did you laugh? <laughs> I still have hormones. That's why she laughed. You guys, pornography is real. It's an addiction and you need Jesus. Just like every other addiction you have and habit and hang up and thing you do that is not right, that you've justified and turned to other people to justify. Guys, I went to a church where it was this family loved Jesus. And they had thousands of dollars in a pornography collection. And they used it in their marriage. And they justified it. And they said, as long as we do that together, it's okay. But it's not. It's outside your marriage. It's definitely other people. It's God's children. It's God's beloved creation as much as you love your children. So all the reasons we have for watching what we want, and you can, you can actually disagree entirely with me on my entire message. And you can, you can walk out of here going, there's nothing wrong with pornography. Because one tenet about being in this church is not that you hate pornography. It's that you believe Jesus is the only answer to your salvation. And it starts there. In fact, I'll even tell you this, don't try to live the Christian life without starting with Jesus. You're gonna become so frustrated. There's so many apparent rules. And so this, this slide up here that talks about uh, taking out the trash and confessing your sin, the third thing on here is get help. Okay, so it's, it's first thing is take out the trash. And the second thing is confess your sins. And the third thing on the slide is get help. Because you can't do it by yourself. And trust me, I tried, because as teenagers, nobody was talking about it, so I just... And then I got to college, and <laughs> I found other guys dealt with it, too. And they also didn't want to do it, because they knew that it was sin. They knew that God didn't smile at it and think it was funny. And so we had to get help. We had to meet regularly. We had to have accountability. And then we got apps. And then there's accountability digitally. But it starts with a conversation with a friend where you say, this is something that actually does affect me. And the only source and help, yeah, it may be a friend, it may be an app, and all those things are good, and they support your help and router control and, and device control on your kids and knowing what they see. It's not the answer. The answer is Jesus, and I have to ask you, have you begun there? Like, no, really. Some of you guys have been in church your whole life. Have you actually started over with Jesus? Starting over with Jesus is actually pretty simple. You say, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't can't do this anymore. The standards are overwhelming. 
you have a standard is actually perfection. So you've already fallen short of the glory of God and you'll never see him unless you realize that by surrendering to Jesus, God already loved you so much that he gave his only son to die in your place. Because the wages of sin is death, so you already are experiencing death, and you're already going to experience death. But God sent his son to die to take our place, to pay that full price. And because he bled and died as the perfect lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, now you can be justified before God. That is the epitome and the only thing in Christianity that this church will never waver on. Everything else, and we do believe other things are super important and commanded in the Bible. We absolutely believe certain things are sin. We are very passionate about certain things. We even had a conference on sex trafficking here this week. But listen, those things are not as important as starting with Jesus. And I don't know where you are. I don't. But if we confess our sin, it remains no more. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin because his son already paid the price for it. And when we get help with any addiction or sin, when we align ourselves with other believers going the same direction and we share our struggles, there's a unity and a forward motion in the church when we pray together and we actually deal with things we begin to heal. And we want that for your marriage. And there's a powerful adage that cuts to the core. It's abrasive. What I'm about to say to you, I saw when I was 19 years old hanging in a dorm room on a banner and I remember it to this day. Pornography rapes the mind. It doesn't ask permission. It violates. It remains. You can't just forget it. And I know that is the most succinct and aggressive statement, but pornographic images force themselves into your memory without your consent. They can replay years and decades later. They can damage and hinder healthy sexuality. Pornography rapes the mind. Why would you want that? And there's people in this church that actually meet every week, every Friday you can come in here. And there's addiction group here uh, that deals with habits and hangups. And, and you can come here with a friend and your friend can deal with his stuff and you can deal with yours. But maybe you struggle with eating too much. Maybe you struggle with pornography. Maybe you struggle with uh, alcohol. Maybe you've done drugs that you've just become super dependent on and you want them and you can't stop. This is a great group to begin to address that stuff. And the reason why I bring that up is we're not just gonna tell you that you shouldn't do something. We wanna give you practical hope. We wanna be part of the solution. And maybe you've been in pornography directly on film or behind the camera, or somehow you're in pictures that you regret that have gotten out. That is so common. So I wanna to speak to you for just a second. Maybe you're in pornography that has gotten out. Okay. Okay. We can work through that. I don't know a single adult in this room that doesn't regret making a decision that turned out bad. There's not one person in here that hasn't made a bad decision that they look back on and go, mm, that was not a good call. So maybe you sent a picture. Listen, we love you. We know there's times in life that we genuinely regret and make decisions. There's still hope for you. And the, and the reason why I go that direction 
is because the suicide rate for people involved in actual pornography is off the charts. It is off the charts. I typed in suicide rate of porn stars. There's article after article after article. They can't quantify it because pornography is not, it's not a regulated thing. It's so high that the New York Times and all these Washington Post and all these other articles popped up and said, why are porn stars dying of suicide at alarming rates? News media agencies are sounding the alarm saying it's overwhelming, it's stunning. Because there's guilt and there's shame with sin. And I'm here to tell you today, you can be free of guilt and sin. And that's a discussion that we can have. And I wanna end with this slide right here. It's so simple. I don't care if you're watching on the internet or you're at home. If you text 97,000, you just type the word help or hashtag porn, we'll have a conversation with you. Look, I, you don't know me. Sometimes strangers are the safest people to talk to when it's about something, because I can't rip you apart. I, I don't know your motives or anything. The people that answer these numbers are gonna have a real conversation with you. We have local help for you. We can point you to, to websites that actually deal with pornography addiction, help you work through that in your marriage, in your single life, what it means to live a pure life. We can work through that stuff. There's actually hope. You don't have to die. You might want to. I have been so guilty in my life. Listen, I have done terrible things in my life that I have definitely thought dying would be way easier than dealing with this. And many of you know I completely crashed my marriage. I didn't move to Asheville going, what a cool place to live. I moved here because my parents lived here and we had to move into their basement because my marriage was in complete shambles. But I want to tell you something awesome. I want to make a shift right here. I want to change from, man, sin sucks and it's heavy and it's bad. To God has healed absolutely incurable and impossible physical ailments in me and in other people in this room. God has healed absolutely broken marriages like mine. I mean healed. I mean, I didn't say it first because that's terrifying. But my wife turned to me a couple years later and said, you know what? I actually feel healed from the affair. Oh, man. God healed my broken marriage on a level like that? God healed my back about a year and a half ago completely? You need no medication? That's amazing. And every week we have God stories and someone up here goes, you know what God did? He gave that woman a voice to sing. God has not, with my miracles, not that. But God does amazing things. God is interested in you. He loves you. He's near. He cares about you. He forgives. He, he wants to heal your heart wounds, and he wants to give you hope. So wherever you are today, when you hear this message and you think, yes, I have things to deal with, realize that it's already been dealt with on a spiritual level. You already have all the forgiveness you need from God. He's literally been near and chasing you, and his arms are open. He's like, listen, I love you. Please turn around. Please shut that off. Please look at me, please. I'm right here, I'm waiting. And that is awesome news. We're actually gonna close with a song that says, all my fountains are in you. And I was like, what a, what a, what a weird song. We don't even use fountains in our culture. Like they exist at Mexican restaurants outside. Nobody really knows why. You know what I'm talking about. So fountains aren't really a thing in our culture. But a, the image of a fountain is that it's water overflowing. Water is a symbolism of life, of hope. It's of growth, of energy, of passion, of refreshment, of security. Where there's water, there's life. 
All my fountains are in you comes from Psalm 87 when David writes, he says, all my fountains are in you and they're overflowing. I have everything I need in God. I'm so excited that there's hope for a future because I can't do it. And that's what we're going to end on. All my fountains are in you is amazing as a song because it talks about how when you're in Jesus, it's overflowing. All of our fountain, all of our life, all of our hope is in him. So if you're struggling today and you want to talk to the ministry team, it's not going to be like usual where you come up here in front because we know most people aren't going to be like, yep, that's me. I got to talk to that guy about porn, okay? They might be in the back, okay? You might just need to text 97,000 and have this conversation later. Uh, but we're going to do communion because communion is about reminding ourselves that we are forgiven as the body of Christ. So during this song, you're going to get to take communion. All you, it's so you just get up and come take it when you want it during the song. And you take it by yourself. And you have this moment with God where you remember, he died for my sins. That's the cup. I'm healed from my transgressions. I'm healed in this life because God died for my sins and he shed his blood. And that's what the cup is for. And you eat that bread and you break it and you eat it because that is Christ's body broken for you. He came, he lived, he died for you. That's what communion's about. So when you take it, remember, your fountains are overflowing because your life is in Jesus. And there is hope no matter where you're coming from. Whether you've been involved in pornography, resisted it your entire life, or completely been entangled in it, and it's ruined parts of your life. Listen, no matter where you are, there's hope in Jesus. And if there's one thing we could tell you today, it's that you have an opportunity to completely start over with God anytime you want. All you do is say, God, I, I can't do this. Pray this prayer with me if you need to start over with God. I can't do this on my own. I need you, God. Please forgive me. Thank you for dying for my sins on the cross. I surrender. I can't do this. I need you in my life. Thank you for being my God and my King. I want your standards. I want to love you and hate sin, but I don't know how in every way. So please just help me transfer all of my life to you. I surrender. In Jesus' name.